Braver Podcast, Episode 9. Welcome to the Braver Podcast, the podcast that's focused on helping real estate business owners to transition from doing it all themselves to building a true business that creates freedom for them. Each week, we grow braver together by focusing on facing the fears and what we're avoiding to grow to the next level. If you want to hear more about building a true business, getting motivation and encouragement, leadership, spirituality, and growing braver, you found the right podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Braver Podcast. This week, I've got a good friend, Brandon Turner, is on the Braver Podcast. For the first time, I think he was on Flipping Junkie Podcast with me like three times maybe, and super pumped to have him on this show because what we talked about during this interview really resonates with me and is completely aligned with what this podcast is all about as far as, you know, bravery and, you know, facing fears and overcoming challenges. Brandon, uh, apart from being the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, uh, is doing some really big things with mobile home parks and large apartment complexes, uh, big syndication deals, all kinds of crazy things, including a coffee that uh, he's coming out with with some crazy stuff. So, but he he went from single family investing into that, and obviously there was a transition. Obviously there was a ton of fear. Obviously he had to learn and grow a lot. So we dig into that, and I, I think it's going to be super beneficial. I know I got a lot from it myself, as far as especially one question that he asks, as far as what a general would do in a, cer- a certain situation, which you know makes you see things from a perspective of. The general wouldn't decide to go and charge the front line, right? Like there's there's things that can be done. So that's just one little nugget from this entire episode, and it's just packed full of this stuff. And obviously, we always have a good time when we get together and talk. So there's some lighthearted stuff in there, and I uh, hope you enjoy those things. Some of the weird things that sometimes we end up talking about. But um, and if you have a chance, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, I don't know if I even have the YouTube channel set up for Braver yet, but um, I'll post that anyway. Maybe on the forefront. CRM channel, youtube.com slash Forefront CRM. Try to post the video because he's wearing the shirt that I made him, uh, which is basically like Post Turner because it's like Post Malone. I, I, I photoshopped some tattoos on his face and he's wearing a shirt of himself with his face on his own shirt that's tattooed up. It's pretty cool, actually. I think it's a good look for him. But if you want to see that, check out the video on YouTube. And um, as well, if you... If you uh, you know, are not taking advantage of your old leads. I was thinking about this recently. We've talked about this quite a bit as far as follow-up, but I, I think a lot of people have old leads that are that are just sitting there that they they lost track of, right? They, they stopped following up. You stopped following up with some sellers that you had talked to in the past, and there's a gold mine there, right? We're always looking for new ways to generate new leads, but we've got a bunch of old leads that we could really tap into, especially the ones that even, you know, we, we stopped contacting maybe six months ago, right? So we have a whole sequence for Forefront CRM that I'm going to provide to you. You don't have to even get Forefront to get the sequence. You can actually get the access to the Google Doc that's got these uh, text and emails and, you know, messages and, and the way they should be structured to reactivate those old leads to see if that person still has the property. Maybe now they're motivated. So if you want to get access to, I think it's a 10-step I should have this with me, but 100 and some odd day reactivation sequence. Free of charge, head over to ForefrontCRM.com slash reactivate. So ForefrontCRM.com slash reactivate to get a hold of that sequence. And you can make use of it even if you don't get Forefront. Uh, You can just get that doc and use those in whatever you're doing. Maybe send them off manually if you want to or have a VA do it. Uh, obviously, Forefront will allow you to automate that, but, you know, your choice. So check it out and hope you enjoy this episode. Let's just dig right in with Brandon. Welcome back to the Braver Podcast. Today I have with me, what is your name again? Uh, uh, John. 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 No, it's <laughs> Brandon Turner. I've got Brandon Turner on the show, and this is I was going to say it's like a fifth time, but that's on the on the Flipping Junkie podcast. On this podcast, this is his first time, and we're going to talk about being brave and not bathing. Yes, not bathing. I believe that you should live in the natural scent God gave you, and so I don't I don't clean myself ever because I'm a I'm a believer. 
He's a believer in it. Yeah, we that actually was a part of the conversation that we had before this, uh, before we got started with yeah, Apparently recording. people don't bathe. That's like a thing in America now. People are like, they don't bathe. They just like take a towel, like, I mean, like a washcloth and like dab their face in their armpits, but they don't believe in bathing. Apparently that's a movement. I don't know. Yeah, if anybody out there listening is doing that, email me. I'd like to find out more about it because that would save me at least 15 minutes a day. It would save me like a minute and a half every week. It's great. <laughs> But it takes time to wipe down. So maybe you're not really saving much. Yeah, um, I wonder why they don't like, I kind of like showers. Like, I like that. Like, why would you not shower? Are they maybe they're being like super like save the earth. Don't use water. And I'm like, stop eating vegetables then because that's what's taking all your water. Oh, right. Anyway. right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of holes in that. There's we a need lot of to, holes to find those holes. Mm -hmm. Today, we're <laughs> so going along with the theme of this podcast, we're going to be digging into going to the next level in investments and breaking through barriers. And, you know, I, I think you said identity shift, right? Identity shifting. Yes. Right. So you want to explain a little bit about that? It's like the beginning, like how you were as an investor, the deals that you were doing and the types of deals as they've grown. Sure. Just give like an overview of your, your story there. Yes. Yeah, so there are a lot of different ways you can approach real estate investing or business in general. Like everything we're talking about today is really more business, but it's in the business of real estate. Uh, and actually I'll make that distinction here in a minute. But so when I started investing in real estate, I would do, I would, you know, paint a, a room. I would change the flooring. I even did some roofing. I did pretty much everything myself. And then over time I'd answer calls from tenants and I did all that stuff. Then over time I found things I didn't like doing. Like I hired my mother-in-law for like 200 bucks a month. I said, can you just answer all phone calls that come in? I don't want to ever talk to a tenant again. And my life got way better that day, that day. That was such a genius move right there because I didn't have to talk to tenants anymore. And that was heavy. I, I always think in terms of heavy and light, what feels heavy to you, what feels light. It's not easy or hard because there are hard things that feel very light to me. And there are easy things that feel very heavy, like talking on the phone. Hate it. Uh, but podcasting, ooh, super light. Um, standing up in front of 10,000 people giving a speech, super light. But talking to a phone and on the phone to one tenant, I, I just clam, you know, freeze up. All right. So uh, I was in like the small deals for a long time and for years and uh, I slowly got out of stuff, but I was still, ma I was still managing everything. It was still me, like me running every single piece and my fingers in every single pie. And is that a phrase? I don't know. That feels kind of dirty, but I, my, I was, I was everywhere. And so then I, over the last two years, I've shifted so much to, I, I have a team now. I think we have 13 people on, on salary or on staff now. And we're buying, I think we have 1,700 units right now that we own. We have another 1,800 that we're under contract on, something crazy like that. It's just so many units. And those are units, not properties, obviously. Um, some big apartments, some big, huge mobile home parks, lots of those. And so I've just made this dramatic shift over the last couple of years. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately, about how much of that is not tactical. It's identity shift. And here's what I mean by that. I interviewed a guy one time who said his first year flipping houses, he flipped a hundred houses. And I was like, how, how would you do that? Like I flip like one house a year and it's overwhelming. And he's like, well, all my friends flipped a hundred houses a year. And so I didn't realize that's not what you're supposed to do. Like, I didn't realize that wasn't a thing. He just assumed that's what flippers did is they just flipped a hundred houses a year. And so he came at it from a different identity than I came at. My identity says I'm a doer. I'm an entrepreneur. I get in there. I can manage this. I, he came at it from a leader standpoint, an identity of being, building a machine, building an empire, like a, a, a a thing that works outside of himself. And that's the identity shift that I'm coming at is I feel like I've made that shift dramatically the last couple of years. And there's a lot of investors who would, it would benefit, it would behoove them to use a great word that I've always wanted to use and never have. It would behoove them to make that identity shift. And so that's what I've been pretty uh, focused on lately. I might even read a book called like identity, sh identity theft, as it'll be called. How to steal <laughs> an identity. That's actually you, legitimately is that's, a, that's how you that's how you did it. That's the seventeen hundred uh -huh. units plus eighteen hundred units all through identity theft. All through identity theft. <laughs> when I say identity theft, I mean you find Robo an identity calls. you want to adopt, and you you say that's the identity I want. Like, uh, what would what would somebody who does a hundred flips a year? What identity do they have to? What what's their? I mean, identity is like formed right by your your repeated actions. So. Uh, you, if you could call yourself a vegan, but if you eat meat every other day, you're, you're in reality, you're not, you don't have the identity of a vegan, but vegans who are like, no, I would never, and they haven't eaten meat in years. 
they reinforce that identity. CrossFit people the same way. Real estate investors the same way. So oh, I, the identity I, of a, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that goes along with, uh, have you ever read Atomic Habits? I think that's what that's called. I haven't. We actually just interviewed James Clear on our podcast. And you um, hadn't read the book. Yeah, I've read the book. It's so good. Oh, oh, you said you have. Okay, good. Of course I've read the book. Of course I've read. Actually, to be honest with you, I didn't tell anybody else this. And I think I said on the podcast, I was like, yeah, I've read the book. Uh, I only read the first like two thirds of the book because when I was putting together like some, my last couple books, I did so much research with James Clear. Like, I mean, I, I think I memorized his website. So his book is basically like his website. And <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, I already know all this. So I, I didn't actually finish it. I got two thirds through. Right. So the piece, though, is the whole part of, of uh, you know, it's willpower when you don't believe you're that person you're trying to be to do the things that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you see yourself as, you know, the people with diet, diets is always the example. Right. Yep. If they don't see themselves as somebody that's more of an athlete or more of a, you know, in shape person that that goes outdoors and does things, then it's always going to be this willpower because you're fighting this identity. Right. Yes. So that's how was it for you to switch? How did you make that transition in identity into doing these bigger deals, the mobile home deals, the, the bigger apartment deals? Yeah, let me tell you. Let me, let me move my mic up here so it's in the right spot here. So the way that it happened to me, I'll tell you my, kind of my story in a nutshell. Was so I was doing all these small deals and building the podcast, writing books and, you know, feeling like I got some, you know, I got my stuff together. And then I went to a conference. I think it was Joe Fairless had a conference. It was like best ever conference back in Denver, like three years ago or two years ago, two years ago, three, I don't know, a couple years ago. And I'm there and I'm like the keynote speaker because I got the loud mouth and I got a podcast. And so I'm on stage speaking and I look out into the audience and I realize I am the dumbest guy in that room. I am the least qualified person in that room to be speaking about any of that stuff because everybody there was doing i mean most people were doing way bigger things it's a, it a higher-end conference with like people doing syndications and doing big big deals and having flipping 100 houses a year and here's me over there going i can do a flip every year or i can buy a couple rental properties every year and i was like there was this dis disconnect between uh what i knew i was capable of which is to be in that group and what i actually was and so there was like this identity uh Identity disconnect, we'll call it for lack of a better term. I'll come up with a better phrase for that later and then I'll patent it and charge everyone who uses it. But uh, there was this like, I can do better than this. So um, I left that and I went, I'm going to do better. Than, like, I'm going to do more than that. And not because it's going to make me happier necessarily, or not because of, of I needed to for the money, but I just, I like a challenge. I think it's fun to find a new, a new identity and to shift into that. It's for that reason why I like occasionally we'll like run a triathlon or I did 75 hard. Like, it's just like, let's do something challenging and hard because it's fulfilling. So anyway, I left that. I left that. And you can adopt. I believe you can adopt an identity for a short time. You can muscle an identity in. Right. So like I'm a vegan. And then you're like, you know, for a week or two, you like don't eat meat. But unless it's continually reinforced over the long time, that's not going to set. It's not going to be like, like you can, again, you can adopt it for a little while, but if you truly want to have identity for your life, it has to, your actions have to repeatedly be repeatedly back it up. And so uh, it was, I came back, I started trying to buy this. I started approaching it like the way I approach small deals with me doing everything. And then I was like, that doesn't work. So then I grabbed my buddy, Ryan Murdoch, and we started doing things together. And then I grabbed another buddy and we still, it was me doing everything. And it wasn't until I, I, I guess I kind of realized that I have to change how I operate entirely, that I can't be the guy doing everything myself, that it started to change. And so I started adopting this identity. In fact, it sounds stupid to say it out loud, but I'll do it in case it helps people. But like talking with a performance coach, I've been talking with him for years, but we started every week talking about the general, a general in a war, like the general, what would the general do? And he would ask me, he's like, what does the general do? What would the general do in this case? Uh, because a general is not out there with a gun on the front line, like charging the bad guy with a bayonet, right? The general is in the back over a map. He's laying over this map and he's moving pieces around and there's, you know, smoke in the air and there's some bad guy comes in and he's like, you know, whatever, general, you're dead. And then they, that's the only time he fights. It's like a guy breaks through his, his, his tent. That's about it. And that, that rarely happens. So I had to like really like shift and I had to, to ask myself all the time. And I still to this day, is this what the general would do? Is this what the general would do? And so I, I then found lieutenants and I found others and I built a 
army, essentially, uh, that takes care of everything. And what's amazing is how much less work I have to do, how much less stress and how much happier I am. The fact that I've got other people doing all those things that feel super light to them, but feel super heavy to me. It's like we built the Avengers. Uh, and so all these people are like top of the top of the top, and they're all doing their thing that they're so good at doing and they love to do and they feel light doing it. And so they don't, they can do it 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week if they wanted to, and they just feels like fun. And I get to do the things I want to do, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. This feels light. This is fun. And this is what I want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I think, you know, for me and maybe for some people listening, you know, they hear that and say, well, I assembled these, the, you know, these Avengers and the people that love this thing and what they're doing and all that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, well, you're Brandon Turner. You could just say, hey, you know, yep. come, let's do this thing and be like, oh, okay, sure. You know, yep. what, like, how, how was that structured and, and, I want to go ahead and throw this in so I don't forget, but it's it's also another part of this is what were the limiting beliefs as you were doing that? Did you have those doubts yourself? Will, will I be able to get, you know, is this person even going to want to work with me? Like, am I bringing yeah. something to the table here? Yeah, I mean, I continually, there there's a continual feel, fear of, of today of like, am I doing enough? Like we, we operate on a system called EOS. It's from the book Traction, right? So it's, a, it's an operating system that defines how we set goals and how we meet, what we meet, what our meetings are like, all that. So EOS has been transformative. Like it's just such a massive impact on our business. I recommend it to everybody. But, and again, for those listening, it's the book Traction will help with that. But um, I guess I struggle with like, what's my goal? Like everyone, they have a th- your goals are called rocks. They're like your quarterly goal is a rock. So I struggle like, like sometimes like, like my guys will come up and each one's got three, four, five rocks that they're like, this is my thing. This is my rock. And, uh, and then I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't really know what to do. Cause I don't really have a role there. I mean, I guess my role is to keep doing the podcast and keep doing, you know, this stuff. And I've got a few things that I can work on. You know, my job is kind of to raise the money, I guess. Mm. So like I could whatever, but the machine runs largely without me. And so there is definitely a, do I deserve this? Do I deserve to own this company when I'm not doing the work? Because our brains tell us that your value is supplied by the hours in which you're sitting in a chair or the widgets that you're producing or the number of times you turn that crank. It's like, that's how our minds are built. That's how we're educated from a, from a, you know, preschool on is that our value is based on the grades that we get on each individual test. And so I've had to work through those limiting beliefs that no, I do deserve this because I've been building a machine and I built the machine. It's my machine. I mean, it's not just my machine. There's lots of us that are part of the machine, but I built it. So I, I do deserve that uh, and what comes with that. And it's not like my job is stress-free. I spend actually still a fair amount of time dealing with big issues that are way more heavy even than I want to deal with, like personnel issues. Those are the hardest, right? Like when you're dealing with people that you love and care for and they're mad about something, about this person said this thing or this person did this thing or I want more money, I want more equity. Like those conversations are much harder to have. Uh, but that's my job today. So I, I don't know if that answers that question, but that was a big, that's a big belief is do I deserve this? Uh, the, oh, I will, I will say this. Um, the idea of like, I'm Brandon Turner. I can get anybody to come work for me. Uh, which is not entirely true, but it, it is, I understand that is my unfair advantage. I can get people to come work for me. I can put it on my Instagram and I'll have 700 people that'll apply for an acquisitions internship program where we pay $0. Like that's absurd, right? But the average per if you are at the level right now where you could, you want to take it to that next level, the larger deals, uh, and you want to start going a team-based approach and like that, that next level investor, then that means you probably already have a, like you're probably already somewhat successful in your own right. There are so many people that would be desperate to work for you because I only picked one of those 700 to be my acquisitions, you know, person. There's 699 other people that just offered to work for free for somebody, not because it's Brandon Turner, but because they wanted what Brandon Turner can give them. And that is the experience and the knowledge of what, of, of getting to that next level. They want, they understand that. So Yes, you can totally find those people. And even if they're not for free, I mean, I don't, most of my people aren't free. Like I have a pretty sizable pay, uh, payroll now. So I pay and you can pay as well. So again, I think it's a limiting belief to say, well, Brandon can do it because he's this. Well, no, I think he can do it. It's just a little easier for me. I admit that. Yeah. And I guess it's that perception, right? I mean, if you perceive it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard and it's going to keep you from ever doing anything. And uh-huh. is that just a useful thing to stay in the comfort zone and avoid doing something that you've not done before? 
that's it, man. The comfort zone thing is everything. Like the reason I stayed in the small deals for so long is because I was comfortable there. It was scary to think about putting together a syndication. Like yeah, it just sounds the, scary to me. It sounds scary to put together a fifty-seven million dollar apartment deal. Like, huh? The, the thing is, though, like you don't, you don't. First of all, you don't have to jump from I flipped a couple houses a year to now next year I'm buying fifty-seven million dollar deals. Like that's not like that's a that's a slow climb. You get there, um, but to put together a syndication with ten different investors to buy a two million dollar property. That's totally doable. It's not, it's funny. Like as I've done the bigger deals now, the syndications, like I realize they're not even as complicated as like flipping a house. I would say it is easier to put together a private equity fund, like a raise money, like than it is to flip one single house in, in re, like actual, like difficulty. It is mm -hmm. easier than flipping a house and it just flipping a house has less. Uh, it, it's more, it's more normal. Most people get that concept of how to do it, but there's so many more moving pieces. And so People often fear what they don't understand. And so because of that, they shut down. Their identity says, I don't, that's not me. I don't get that. So I'm going to shut down and not do it. It sounds too difficult. But hard is really nothing but steps that you haven't defined or haven't practiced. Like nothing's difficult in business. It's just steps you, steps you haven't defined what they are and you haven't practiced enough to get them done. But if you knew what the step was and you practiced it a lot, it'd be, it'd be easy. Like for you, flipping a house is just like, you know, whatever. I've done this so many times. It's like, right. I can, it's pretty easy for me now. Like the syndication thing, the first time, yeah, it was scary and difficult and I didn't know what to do, but thankfully there's attorneys that you pay and they just kind of walk you through the whole process. And there's other, you can partner with somebody else. You can JV, you can, uh, you can go work for a syndicator to learn That's how so they true. do it. You can go LP with somebody, go put your money with another syndicator and ask them if they'll show you what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this reminds me of something that I heard recently too, is, is, you know, everything boils down to one thing. If you don't do the thing that you want to do or accomplish or, or get to the point that you want to get to, what I've heard was it's not because you didn't know something. It's not because you need to learn something more. It's that you just didn't do the thing necessary to get to that point. Yeah. And it's as simple yeah. as that. It always boils down to that. You use some other excuses, you know, had some, some symptomatic problems that you maybe focused on and got tactical about, but didn't address the main issue of and, you know, I think one, if what's coming up for me and, and you're talking about syndication and all this other kind of thing, when I've heard about people putting together bigger deals, where they're saying, you know, I found this and I've got these other people that are going to run with it and we're all going to do it. And I'm relying on this person now. I did the finding and uh, I'm going to rely on this person to, you know, do the value add to all these apartment units and fill them and do all this kind of stuff. My limiting beliefs start saying, well, don't you think that they're going to get resentful that you found that and now you're not doing anything and they're doing all of this work? And it goes back into what you just said, like believing that it's all based on how much time or effort or value we feel like we put in based on the number of hours or work. Yep. yep. Right. Um, so yeah. that's, that's something that, you know, and, and have you seen that or have you actually experienced something like that where, where one of the key people ends up flaking and, and what happens in that situation? Yeah, I mean, we've had people move around roles a little bit. I haven't like lost necessarily anybody in the core team. Uh, but there have definitely been conversations like about, you know, I'm putting in a lot more hours, like I think I'm worth more. And again, those are difficult conversations to have. And I'm not saying they're wrong necessarily. Uh, but it's kind of like people, it's capitalism you're worth what value you bring. And so the more valuable you are, the more money you make, the more equity you can demand, the more all that stuff. Uh, and so, you know, we allow for that within the company. Like if people want to rise up, they want to be more valuable. There are definitely avenues for that. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, well, I want to be more valuable. I want to, I want to make more than just my $40,000 a year job. Great. Bring more than $40,000 of value. Bring significantly more. Uh, in the words of Cal Newport, uh, his great book, be so good they can't ignore you. Be mm. so good that they're desperate. They have to have you and they'll demand, you can demand whatever you want because they, they can't go without you. And if people just pursued excellence and became amazing, they could demand so much more. I don't know if that answers that question or that, that thought, but. No, it does a little, I mean, you know, and, and if it's, um, I mean, maybe even helping people to see, you know, with this work, maybe you're mopping the floors right now, right? but you're in, like you're in, you're seeing how things are done and you have, you can see the path up and 
And like you said, if you're looking at the value that you can add while you're doing that, you're doing your part in showing yeah. that you're capable and you're trustworthy and they can rely on you that, that then you can, you know, do some other things and, and show that value. I, I, I do like whenever people that I've had work for me ask for raises constantly and they're not really doing anything different than they've always done. It's like, you know, yeah. You've got experience, right? It's this whole, the whole idea of the five years experience. It's like, eh, no, it's really one year of experience re repeated for five years. You, you've yeah. not, you know, done anything more. Yeah, it's, um, drives me nuts. Like this, that, that mentality of like, well, I've been here, so therefore I deserve more money. Uh, I understand, like, that's true if the reason you've been here is that you have made yourself more and more indispensable. But the fact is, if that person left, if you could replace them with something cheaper that could do the same level of job, well, then that means that their value is only at whatever that lower level is. Like, again, it's capitalism. It's just, it's a number. Um, and so, yeah, if those people want to be better, then fine, build, like become more valuable. Make it difficult where if you, if you were like, I want to raise or I'm quitting, what would make them have, what would make me have to give somebody my team a raise? If they, if they gave me that ultimatum, I mean, they wouldn't be a jerk like that, hopefully, but they, that's a bit, whether they say it that way, that's kind of the bottom line with every employee is I can leave if you don't pay me enough. Um, and so, yeah, what can you do to stand out from that? And in real estate, it's like, if you're finding deals, like you are super valuable. If you're raising money, you're super valuable. If you're putting dates on a calendar for someone, not super valuable unless you're really, really good at it and you're like an admin assistant and you understand all these nuances that would take the CEO or the, the boss hundreds of hours of more training to somebody else. Well, now you're valuable and that's why you, you can demand more money. So yeah, just how good are you really? And uh, that will dictate how much you make. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing, you know, what stands out to me and it's not even that difficult. It's Hey, I finished up this stuff and you know, I thought I could do this. What do you think? And it's like, well, okay, cool. I don't have to sit here and think of how you can provide more value or do more. Like you're, you're owning, you're being, you're showing that you've got ownership potential right in this because you're thinking like an owner would yes. or a general, right? Having, you know, bringing those leaders within the organization and they're going to rise up and, and take those spots. So I want to ask you if like, whenever you started doing the bigger deals, and you said, okay, I'm going to start thinking like the, what would the general do? Who are the specific types of people or the, the roles that you were looking for to fill? Yeah. So, uh, when I knew that I wanted to buy, I was going to build a, like a syndication model business, um, for real estate, buying apartments and mobile home parks. I said, okay, who do I need? And I built out my organizational chart, my org chart. I built it out completely and said, this is what I would have to have. Uh, and I said, okay, I need, an I need somebody in charge of acquisitions. Like they're just fully in charge of acquisitions. I need somebody fully in charge of raising money. Like they're dealing with the investors. They're on that side. I need somebody on the like due diligence. And again, this doesn't mean like one person could have two of these roles, but due diligence, I need somebody just kind of monitoring due diligence. I need somebody uh, kind of running the whole show, right? Like a COO kind of level, like the integrator or somebody that kind of oversees. I probably need an admin person. I probably need a finance person. Just kind of thinking through like, okay, now I've got this org chart. So let's just put people in those spots. Because if I had this rock star org chart, we should, oh, and then KP is another one. I have to have a key principal, like somebody wealthy enough to be able to get loans from big commercial banks. It's like, okay, well, if I had this team, then I could buy anything. Like we could take down anything. This is the Avengers. So I need the Hulk. I need Iron Man. I need Black Widow. I'm going to build this team. Or if you're thinking more in terms of like, let's say basketball, right? I'm terrible at basketball, but it's like, okay, we need a, what, a forward? Is that a thing? A center? We need a point guard? I don't know. I don't like you, like the team is the team. Every basketball team team it has the same roles you might have two of one or a football team or whatever sport you want to do you might have two of one or or whatever but they generally have all the same structure and so the 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 owner of the team the owner of the the, the basketball team football team they go out and find the best person for each of those roles and not just the best person right you want the best person that fits with what you need and what the opposition uh it, you can win against the opposition and so you find those pieces you plug them in and that's how you build your team from there and they don't have to all be employees. They could be partners or you could run all those roles in the beginning if you really want to. I wouldn't recommend it, but like you just find the thing that you want to do least that feels the heaviest and then find somebody for that role. Again, internship, it could be a job, it could be a partnership, whatever. It could be another entire other syndication company. You just JV with somebody and their team. But Cool. So 
in doing this, whenever you set out, so you've got the org chart, you know who you need, and you're going to approach people. Did you have someone that's done this before or a group of people that have done this before that could help you with, you know, what, what kinds of offers should you make, right? Should you, could you, should you offer ownership like equity or should you uh, do, you know, commission-based or salary? Where did you, how did you come up with those things? A lot of it was just trial and error. And I probably made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, so we figured things out. Like we initially offered, like it was originally like three guys, me and two others. And we're like, let's just split everything three ways. We're each one third owner. And then that was just a terrible idea. It didn't really work out. And then we tried something else and that didn't really work out. And we tried a few different things. And then we gave equity to a bunch of people. But then as the company grew, we realized like, maybe I shouldn't have given as much of equity to everybody. Cause now I just, as we bring on more people and I got to give them equity. And it's just like, it, I learned a lot of lessons. And if I were to start over today, I'd probably do things very different. But I think what you're getting at here is like, I think every company needs like a mentor. That's another role that I just wrote down here. Like there's the KP, but there's also a mentor role. Somebody who's been there, done that. Maybe they're part of the GP and they're part of the company. Maybe it's a paid mentor. Uh, maybe it is a, a friend that you have that you just bounce ideas off of. But so in my, my case, we brought on into the company, uh, my partner, Brian Murray. He wrote a book called Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate a few years ago. He also wrote uh, with me the new like multifamily books that BiggerPockets is coming out with. Get them at biggerpockets.com. Uh, but like we wrote them together because he had bought thousands of units before this. He knew what he was doing. He just hadn't gone into the syndication model as much. And so uh, he kind of served as KP, but also as mentor uh, and friend. And like, I always just say like the wise guy on the team, like not in the bad wise guy way, but like the wise person who can at least help with 90% of those questions um, because he's been around the block a long time. And I think that's a super important vital person to have on your team oh yeah for sure and and are all the people that you brought in is this their sole thing or do they have other projects i mean brian has a few other projects where he's like lps on other projects i mean, uh, I mean uh, kps on other projects so he's like been involved with a few other people but and he owns his own his own deals himself he has a, you know a lot of real estate himself but this is kind of his main thing. He sees this as his, like, this is his big thing. Uh, and then everybody else, pretty much it's a full-time job that I brought in. Uh, we have a few internships that have other jobs, obviously, because they have to, you know, pay the bills and such. But um, yeah, pretty much everyone, we try to make it their main thing because I want people who are like, we're all in it. I mean, it's very much, it's a gamble. And I'll fully admit that this is like, we have a lot of salaries and a lot of people all trying to do this big thing. And that just takes on some big deals. And if it didn't work though, that would have sucked. And I would have had a lot of money I would have lost. And so failure wasn't an option. And we were like, we're going to do this. So we built a machine that could work and it worked. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That I guess that's the thing. And, and I guess like, the question I want to ask you about that is, with these being bigger deals and a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit more involved, a bigger outlay with a chance of something not working, but then the payoff is much greater. Yeah. Was it tough for you to sleep at certain points? More so, so than when you started getting into real estate investing with smaller properties. Yeah. There have been moments where I've like been a little stressed out. Um, I have this advantage. Um, it's called, uh, what's the word? Being rich. And so it, it helps. Uh, in other words, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not that rich. But in other words, I make good money. Like I make good money from things, from, from my real estate, from my cash flow, from my book sales, from whatever. Like, and I'm, I have an identity and the identity that says I can always make more. Like I think money is a is everywhere and it can be earned and I, I'm sure I'd be fine. So that helps me sleep better at night with the salary piece of things. Like even if I had to go six months without a single deal, I could still make the make the payment to my to my staff. Or I could figure out a way to generate more money. I could go launch Brandon Turner coaching and I'll teach you how to be a real estate investor and I'd I'd make a million dollars, right? Like I so I have that belief that I could generate the money if I needed to. And in the meantime, I I could pay it if I had to. That helps me sleep better at night and also makes me a better investor because I don't have to do a deal. Hmm. Like I can't, I'm not gonna like go bankrupt for if I can't get a deal for six months. If we went six months without a deal, we'd have to sit down and revisit our like, okay, did the market shift? How are we gonna pivot? What are we gonna do? But it's not like I'm going to go live under a bridge because I can't make the payment for six months. So that helps. The thing that has actually caused most of like the stress uh, or like not sleeping at night is 
is like the stop. Like, can I, like when we got, we got a couple big deals that all came in at the same time. There was a $57 million apartment. There was a $34 million apartment. And then there was like a, we raised basically $20 million in a, a mobile home park fund to go out and buy about a hundred million worth of real estate of mobile home parks. So like all this came at one time. And so we had to raise right around $50 million of, of equity between 40 and $50 million in about a four week period. Wow. And I was like, shoot. I mean, I'd only raised 20 million in the past year total. And I had to do like 40 in two or three weeks. And I remember just thinking like, like, I can't do this. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't have that many people on my list. And I, I don't know. And the truth is like, we raised all the money for the mobile home park thing. And I think seven or eight days, then nice. four days later, we launched the 57 million apartment raise that we needed to raise like 15. We raised it in six days. Uh, and now yesterday we launched the raise for the $34 million one. And we basically have hit it now in two days. I mean, we're, I think we're 1 million shy right now, but we'll hit that today or tomorrow. Um, and so that, that ironically caused me a lot of stress, but ended up being actually super easy. Uh, now, had I not had that stress, it wouldn't have been as easy. And here's what I mean by that. I think stress is both good and bad, right? Stress just tells us we need to like, like think about something deeper. And so the stress that made it not me not sleep at night made me go, okay, what am I going to do? Okay. That, and like that most powerful question in the world, like, what am I going to do about this? Or how can I, how can I, how can I raise $40 million in the next month? And so we sat down and we're, all right, here's our plan. We're going to do this one on this date, this one on this date, this one on this date. We're going to raise, we're going to, this is the email marketing we're going to send out. We're going to hit it hard on Instagram. We're going to do this. We're going to partner with this person. We're going to, and we created a very strategic plan for raising the money. Then we worked our plan and it totally worked. We raised the money. Um, and so, yeah, the stress led to clarity of action. Uh, and for some people, stress leads to shutting down. And there is that tendency. I want to do it too. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so hard. I know I'm just, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to like sit on the couch and watch TV. And that's what, that's one way to deal with it. Or two is you just buckle down and say, okay, like the enemy's at our gate. What are we going to do? Yeah. You, you know, and it. as you go through that, isn't that more of like the fun of this whole ride, right? The yeah. whole entrepreneurial ride that we're on is, is had in those moments where, I don't know. I'd, I'd heard something about um, it's like the moments in your life that you remember the ones that you were scared, like you were yeah. afraid and you did something right. You don't remember the times that you didn't. It was just some casual thing. It's not memorable. Yeah. Like there yeah. had to be some sort of thing. And and I was I've been watching this uh, 14 day solo camping thing. This guy's like solo canoeing down the Hess River and the Yukon on YouTube. It's like four hours long. Oh, and he dumped, he's by himself, right? He dumped on these rapids and almost lost his canoe, right? And he's out with all his food, all that kind of stuff. And he made a statement, he, and it was somebody else's quote, but he said that adventure begins when everything that you planned goes out the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of I like, like the, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, that's I mean, the show is like brave, braver, right? Right. Like, Bravery can't exist without, without a difficulty, right? You can't step up. Like William Wallace never showed up if like the English weren't, you know, beating down the Scottish, you know, like that, that that's when we're forged as heroes in our own story or in the, in the story of the world is when there are, is difficulty. So we have that choice in those difficult moments to rise like William Wallace or like Robert the Bruce, if you, you know, Braveheart reference is to fall and just like join everyone else in the world and give up and go back to living the life that you were. Uh, but I think the true test of like that, uh, of bravery is what, how you respond to those difficult situations. That's so cool. Cause that's completely tied into every reason why I named the podcast braver. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was, you know, Jordan Peterson talked about like the clinical studies of like fear and, and, uh, and all that kind of thing. And it's like, everybody faces it and there's the choice, right? You could either choose to voluntarily look at it, address it, attack it. And it's the call to adventure, right? Or you can cower and just, you know, either way it's there. And it's yeah. not that the fear ever goes away. It's just that you become braver. Mm, yeah. Right. So that's, yeah. Like that's that. thing. But yeah. So you just like showed how tied it all together with you know, progress as a real estate investor over all these years and you've come a long way from what is it, real estate in your twenties? Yeah, real estate in your twenties. It's pretty cool, it's man. Been a long time. Yeah. Out in Hawaii. Oh, no. 
keep telling my kids I'm going to take them out there and totally should. You should come stay for a month, month in Maui. It's our new business out here. Month in Maui. Yeah. He's month in Maui.com. Check it out. It's like you come to Maui. This is oh, it's it's actually a website. I thought you were just inviting me and my family for a month. And it's like, I am, but I'm actually <laughs> selling you on it. I'm selling you on it here. Uh, the idea Go ahead and apply is, on the website. You come to come to Maui for a month, hang out with me. You get a car rental. You get a bunch of cool activities that we handpick for you. We take care of you for a month. You should do it. All right. I'll apply. I'll apply on the, on the website. There. You, you better. It's only $80,000 for you. <laughs> Comes with a free keychain though. So you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say that too. If you're listening to the podcast, you have to check out the YouTube video for this one because Brandon is rocking his new look. It's post Turner. He's got a shirt on that has his face on it. I, I can't believe he's, he's that into himself. <laughs> A shirt. I'm so, I'm so arrogant. I made myself a shirt of my own face and I put your company name right on the shirt. That's <laughs> yeah, how arrogant I am. I yeah, wear he, it everywhere. He likes the software so much. He put, I like, I like it so much. But anyway, he's got the tattoos, like the Post Malone, the, he's got yeah. real estate under one eye and then forefront under the other. And then he's got a swallow, a bird on the forehead. So you got to check it out. It looks pretty good. I think I it's mean, a good look it, for you. I think so too. I might go with the tattoos. I think they're good. I mean, the bird maybe switch off for a skull or something, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Or like tribal right. tattoos, and I don't know what they mean. Get beat <laughs> up here on Hawaii. Yeah, it's a good way to get yourself beat up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, out there in Hawaii for sure. Yep. Cool. So what's um, what's on the horizon for you? I mean, what do you what have you got going on right now? Besides all those, I mean, it's not like you didn't mention a bunch of things already, but. Yeah, I got like four or five like businesses that I'm kind of trying to run uh, all at the same time, which is generally a terrible idea for anybody to do. I don't recommend it. Uh, but like, so there's the month in Maui. There's the Open Door Capital. We're that's moving. I'm building this other little mini machine called Month in Maui. I want to own a I don't know maybe a dozen vacation rentals here in Maui that are uh, month long rentals only. Like you come for a month, and then uh, I got a coffee brand that we're launching. That's kind of not. That's kind of more of a I don't want to call it a gimmick because it's legit like the best coffee I've ever had. It's called Beardy Brew Coffee. Uh, it's really good coffee. We found a local roaster here on Maui that's just the best and uh, they're running it for us. But that's more of like a way to build relationships and send people coffee and then kind of be a fun little like, hey, look at this. It fits with the brand, Beardy Brew. It's the only cup of coffee with real beard hair in every cup. Uh, and <laughs> that's not sure. But um, there are lots of coffee companies where you get beard hair in their cups. Um there's that's no where we were, we were saying that. Yeah, I had that conversation yep. before. It's like, make sure that you label the bag that that is beard hair. Real beard hair. Yes, 100% beard hair. Uh, that's what you can tell how successful that business is, is based on how long my beard is. It's just going to keep, <laughs> I'm going to start on the right side and just pull out of hair every bag until it's gone. So oh, we all know it's not going to be your beard hair. It's going <laughs> to be somebody else's on the street that you guys randomly. I'll get an intern for that. I'll find an internship opportunity for a beard uh, person. So anyway, I got that one. I might do some like uh, other random stuff with bigger pockets this year in terms of like kind of a more higher level mastermind kind of idea. Uh, still working through the details of what that's going to be, but that's, I'm very excited about that. I think that'll be fun. Kind of a, and I've been doing these Maui masterclass things out here, which you need to come out to one, by the way, there's one end of September if you want to come. We got like five spots left, but uh, we basically bring out these like high level investors and we talk and we grow and we learn and we sit on a catamaran, catamaran and go play on a mountain and eat fancy food and have a great time. So it's just such a life changing experience every time we do it. So I'm kind of incorporating that into maybe one that's more of a regular reoccurring like Facebook group slash get together several times a year, kind of a, a brotherhood, sisterhood thing. Right. We'll see. That's, I'm still putting together the idea. We'll see where it goes, but so I've got two questions about this then. Yeah. Uh, first, which one of all of these projects are you most passionate about? Uh, and you can't cop out and say all of them. You have to. I know it really is. You know, like the truth is I'm passionate about mentoring and coaching my teams. I love that part of it. And they're all so interrelated that they're all fun. That said, if I had to pick one, I think Open Door Capital is the one that I'm most like, that's the biggest impact on my life. But it's also the, the one I probably spend the least amount of time on uh, because I've got 13 people. Like the, the machine is so well-oiled and running so mm -hmm. well that I only have to like just tweak things. And I meet a couple of times a week with the key people in the company and that's about it. Um, I spend probably the most time on Month in Maui just because we're remodeling some condos right now. 
And I'm, I'm treating that the way that I try, treated my early deals, which was I'm way too involved. So do you, you ever have thoughts of, of thinking that you should focus on one thing every day? Uh, the, the key is, is I use the analogy all the time about the bridge building. Like if you want, if you live on one Island, you want to build a bridge to another Island, the more bridges that you build, the f- more time it's going to take all of them to get done. Right. So like you work on this one for a little bit and then this one for a little bit and this one for a little bit and this one for a little bit. So I understand. And I fully believe that if I only worked on one, I would get there faster. Uh, and for most people in the world, you should not build multiple bridges, pick one and go with it. However, I already have several bridges over that island complete. I don't need any bridge there. So right now, bridge building is the hobby. So um, I have people, I like building machines. I like building bridge building machines. I don't want to build bridges anymore. I want to build bridge building machines. So uh, mm. in fact, I, I, I met with a couple last night that are going to take over the month in Maui project for me. I'll still own it, but they're going to run the whole thing. And I've got other teams that run each of these, uh, like Tarl Yarber runs the Maui masterclass. And so that's how I'm, I'm operating now. So that's the only way to do it. You have to get other people building your machine, building your machines that then build uh, your bridges if you want to do multiple things. So are you implementing EOS on all of that? And then you're just getting these, these KPI reporting from all of these different pieces to, to keep an eye on everything. That is the goal right now. I wish I could say I'm not good at it. I'm not, I'm still way too involved in everything, even open door capital, but ultimate goal is to be Richard Branson. What do I mean by that? Richard Branson, uh, not his level of success, but Richard Branson, uh, a buddy of mine went and met with him uh, on Necker Island one time and he got to sit in on one of Richard's, like his only meeting he does throughout the week, like his primary meeting. And it's like one meeting with his like Lieutenant, like the person that runs his empire who then has like 160 companies underneath them that they own. But he meets one time a week with this one guy and he just answers the big, huge, gigantic issues. And he just goes on the list. And then that guy goes out and meets with his team. They go meet with their teams they go meet with their teams and that's like the CEO level of all these little companies that Richard Branson owns. And by little, I mean like Virgin airlines and stuff. So in other words, Richard Branson is doing the high impact things that make the biggest difference. And he's got teams. I'm missing that Lieutenant level right now in my life. I don't have that. And so I'm still deeply involved. Um, I need that level of somebody who's like in between me and all the CEOs that I meet once a week with them and they do everything. So that's, that's where I'm headed the next five years is to, I guess what I'm saying is I'm moving up from general to president. That's the, yeah. the move. So I want to be president, then there's generals, and then there are a general or two, and then there are a bunch of lieutenants that run things. I'll know when you found that lieutenant because you'll stop texting me every week. I will stop texting you. Right. Yeah, I honestly, I, yeah, I need to. And I think a lot of people listening to this are probably in a similar spot where you have way too many things on your list, but you don't want to say no to things. And so I need other people to say no to things for me. <laughs> it's like down to the key because I will do everything anybody wants because I love this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but at some point to grow, like there's a reason that you can't get Tim Ferriss on, an, on a podcast. You can't get Gary Vaynerchuk on a lot of stuff. There's a reason you can't get Sam Zell or um, you know, Warren Buffett to come to a podcast. They just, you can't do it. So I'll always do your podcast though, Daniel. I appreciate that. I. All right. Um, yeah, I think a key thing that I took from this, you know, is your statement of, of already having some of the bridges that were built over you know, and, and, you know, the fun then became just like finding a way to have somebody build bridges for a machine that builds the bridges for you. And, you know, that fits in a little bit with, with what Mitch Steven, his moat theory. I don't know if you ever read his book, the my no. life in a thousand houses. No, I haven't. And he's in San Antonio too, but his whole thing was once I have my, my core, uh, you know, passive income coming in that supports my family, what I need to live comfortably everything beyond that can be played with to some extent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without all of the worry and the stress, because you've got everything kind of taken care of and you never wager that core piece. And so it like becomes more of like a game as you, as you move out. And it kind of feels like that's what you've done here and grown to a point and been able to do those things. Really cool. Yeah. And I, I think open door capital is my, is my anchor. Well, I guess you could say bigger pockets is the anchor that makes everything else possible being on the podcast, but open door capital is my future wealth. Like that's where my kids have, that's where I have generational wealth is an open door capital. And so I will keep moving that thing forward because I make my income from book sales, like my day-to-day income. I don't take a pro, I don't take a salary from any business that I own. I just live off book sales. And, uh, and then all cash flow gets recycled and, and grown into open door capital. I just reinvest all my money back into my own deals. So 10 years from now, I've got, you know, a lot more money. So yeah, that's, 
I think that's like that thing for me is like, I have to keep growing that because I want that to be there, but yeah. Well, you're pretty brave, man. Doing great. Trying, man. Trying to be William Wallace. Sometimes feel more like that goofy guy on Braveheart. I don't know the guy's <laughs> name. It's my island, <laughs> that guy. Oh, man. Well, we all, we all, all a little of all of them, right? So, true. you know, maybe <laughs> you're smiling at me like, yeah, you're a lot of the goofy one, though. No. <laughs> my island. <laughs> Hey, thanks for being on the show. If anybody out there listening wants to get a hold of you, do you have a bunch of barriers or, or there, is there... <laughs> uh, yeah. I am most accessible by driving to my house and knocking on my door. Uh, please don't do that. Uh, no, I'm on Instagram at Beardy Brandon. Beardy Brandon, beard with a Y. The only Instagram account with a real piece of beard hair in every follow. It's great. Nice. So you can get me there. And I, I try to check my DMs pretty often. I get a little overwhelmed at times, but I try to answer the ones I can and uh, I try to interact with people and Come to Maui Masterclass if you want to come hang out in person. Yeah, a good way to get him to respond to your DMs is to create an account called something like the official Warren Buffett. Yes. And then like message that would help. him and he'll respond. Yeah, just say that you work for NPR and you want to do a feature story on me. We'll, we'll chat. And then I find out that's a lie and I'd be like, I respect your ingenuity. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of weird things that come from that. Maybe that's, that's the fun part. <laughs> I'm going to get All so right, many man. messages and just people lying to me now. That's great. <laughs> Thank you for that. Let me know about some, forward some of them to me, but thanks for taking the time out to being on the show. Thank you. This is fun. All right. We'll talk soon. Peace. All right. Another fun podcast episode with Brandon. And uh, like I said before, if you haven't gotten that reactivation sequence, head over to ForefrontCRM.com slash reactivate and get that sequence, the drip sequence to turn more of those deadlies, those old leads that you're not even messing with back into deals. Try to get those things into deals and profit from them. It's a great thing. Go ahead and it's free. Just go check it out. You got nothing to lose there. ForefrontCRM.com slash reactivate. All right, everybody have a great week and we'll see you on the next one.